0: From Real FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, October 25th, 2018. This is episode 77 Data Industrial Complex. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests. Senior editor at The Verge, Tom Warren, is back with us. Tom, welcome back.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: It's good to have you here. We also have Principal at Creative Strategies, founder of Tech Pinions, Ben Baharin, returning. Hi, Ben. Hello, all. There's a lot going on in the tech world right now There's a lot going on And so, uh, Stephen Hackett, download producer Who has apparently gotten lost in the New York subway And so he isn't here today <laughs> uh, Put together this show, picked a bunch of topics And we should probably get down to it I want to start by talking about uh, privacy issues Now, at a privacy conference in Brussels Apple CEO Tim Cook called for new digital privacy laws in the U.S. He said that the tech industry has created a data industrial complex where personal information is weaponized against us with military efficiency. He he also praised Europe's GDPR regulations. Now, Apple's obviously in an advantageous position in terms of these issues because it's largely not in the targeted advertising business. But even Google and Facebook have made a bunch of positive noises about U.S. privacy regulation, probably because, they see the writing on the wall that they're going to be regulated and they would like to participate in the process of regulating themselves. Um, I, a lot here, but I want to start with Tim Cook. I don't doubt his belief in user privacy, but I think it's always whenever somebody reports on this issue, it is worth mentioning a bunch of stuff about Apple, including that he's essentially pressing an advantage here. His business model can withstand strict privacy regulations in a way that some of his competitors maybe will have a harder time yeah
1: I think um, it's interesting interestingly timed um, obviously everything going on with GDPR um, in Europe Brexit um, all the privacy scandals with Facebook and everything else yeah um, In terms of Apple, like, it has always been their thing, Uh, the privacy, the privacy stuff, especially when um, it's in the context of Android or Google Mm -hmm. or anything like that, they do use it as a competitive um, advantage. I'm not sure how long they'll be able to do that for. like for now, it's probably fine, but if they want to push into being competitive on the AI front, um, and stuff like that in the future, they're going to need to get access to the sort of data that Google is using to its own advantage for, for many different services. Um, so it's interesting that they're, they're taking this particular route. Um, I think Microsoft's also doing the same sort of thing. They're, yeah. they're, they're sort of calling out privacy all the time and how they, they, they want to be, uh, you know, the privacy and security company. Um, but yeah, I do, I do agree with Cook though, um, in some, some senses. Um, I feel like there does need to be some sort of regulation on this stuff. Um, whether, it, like, I don't, I don't think self regulation is probably going to work. Um, but I don't think that, you know, really harsh, um, government regulation is going to work either. So it just needs to be something in the middle if we can get there at all. Um but yeah there does there does feel like at this point there needs to be some sort of guidance on this and I'm not sure anyone really knows exactly what that should be though. That's that's kind of the problem.
0: As somebody in Europe, do you think GDPR is uh you know, where does it run on that spectrum? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Is it just right? Yeah, um
1: so GDPR is so complex and so like so unforgiving, I guess, at the moment. Um, we haven't really had a big test of it to see whether it is good enough or, or not. Um, Facebook will probably be one of the first big tests of that, just just due to um, not the privacy scare they had earlier this year, but the hacking stuff recently. Um, that's probably going to fall under GDPR. Um, but yeah, I guess. It's just, it's just too hard to say whether that's going to be good enough or not, um, or if it is too much or, or too little. Mm. Um, the good, the good part of it is that, like in the, in the UK, um, they've just fined, um, Facebook for the Cambridge Analytica stuff, but they've only been able to find them, uh, 500,000, uh, pounds, um, which isn't like a, a ton of money for Facebook, especially when it doesn't really pay much tax, um, in the UK anyway. Um, but with the GDPR, they're able to fine up to like four percent of their global revenue. So that's that's definitely a uh, a more of a stick to beat a company with than, you know, a, a smaller fine for for some of this um, abuse that we're seeing with with data. Really, so.
0: Ben, what do you think about Tim Cook coming out this strong about uh, privacy regulation?
2: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think your point, and and this uh, gets echoed quite a bit, that you know, this is a an advantage that they have. It's a sustainable advantage that they have. It, it's something that you know themselves, uh, to some degree, Microsoft, and, and really only a few tech companies have uh, have going for them from a, a business model standpoint. Um, and and I think you know, it's it's one of those things where. You know, you, you kind of balance this. Like, is there really a strategic element of this? I mean, I think that's, that's been clear and, and that really wouldn't change whether or not, you know, Apple, Apple presses on this the same levels that they're doing. Or is this really sort of just coming out of also a, a philosophical bent that, you know, not just Tim Cook, but, but Apple and I think even Steve Jobs has had before because, you know, he was pretty clear on privacy things saying, you know, really this, the, at the end of the day, you need to just give the consumer the choice. Let them choose what they're comfortable with and what they're not. And just be transparent about what's being collected and, and not, and that, that's sort of always been an, an, an Apple uh, philosophy, even even under Steve Jobs. And, and so I think you know there's part of this, you know, what they're going to fight for uh, in terms of both consumer protection, what's increasingly, and you know, I think a a viable concern within countries, um, just around how much data gets out there because consumers don't always know. And I think that's really the the position that that they are coming from, and I think regulators should should come from is a position of consumer protection in what can what what can be considered an ignorant point. I think most people just don't really understand and now are, are starting to become aware of how much data about them they've given away when they agree to a free service. I think they just think it's free, it's a convenience. Yes, I see some ads, but they don't really understand all all of what's being, you know, collected on them. So I think we're kind of in this this Uncharted territory of high levels of consumer awareness, and and we we figured this out in some of our research that we did last year on on privacy, and just really was quite shocked actually at at how much bigger of a concern this is, especially in the face of a narrative where most people say they don't consume about, care about their privacy. That that's not actually true. Um, it's true in some stances, but it's not true universally. And so I, I think recognizing the trade offs, really being clear on on consumer choice, and giving them Full control of and of what they share, what they don't share, and and really understanding the implications of that, I think, has uh, good, obviously, like you said, positive impacts for Apple. But I think at a high level is good for consumers from a universal standpoint. And I think you're going to inevitably see more of this from, you know, either, you know, protection type acts, uh, things like Europe's doing, etc. And that's going to have implications on the free services business model. And I think it's interesting because this, this sort of free services with ads, yes, it's been around for a long time, but it's really been... I think taken to a whole nother level in the age of the internet, and that's led to I think where a lot of consumers now are ending up being uncomfortable with the idea of of tracking and hyper targeting and so that that's where I sort of think we're moving toward this direction where regulation will be inevitable you're going to see hefty acts of consumer protection um, I think more more tech companies will come out and fight for that and i think it's it's going to have an implication on some of these free services and hopefully in in a positive way i mean you could argue okay well if so and so had to pay for a specific service or you had to see more of these uh these regulations come in could it make the service even better is i think an, an interesting narrative as well so there's it's going to be a turbulent time i think for some companies but again i think for me the big takeaway is consumer awareness is at a all-time high on this and they seem to be very sensitive to these issues um and i think you know Cook and others will come out and try to be on the positive side of the consumer and, again, hope that that drives sales. Honestly, I don't really think this is going to make an impact on sales. I think it's just a viewpoint that they're coming out with, but it is, again, I think something that consumers appreciate.
0: You talk about uh, sort of the general public awareness of this issue. And I'm going to give you an example from my house, which I will admit th- this is my wife is married to somebody who thinks about this stuff a lot and writes about it, but she doesn't care about technology stuff. I, I'll just say it. She doesn't listen. In fact, last week she told me she doesn't listen to my podcast, but she really doesn't listen to my tech podcast, which I thought was a really <laughs> great perspective for her to have. We we're watching the World Series last night and an ad for the new Facebook uh, camera you know thingy I can't even remember yeah, the name of it now portal. The portal right comes on And I, I go oh boy and I, I, I I'm not going to say anything And she is looking at it And it gets to the end and it's revealed that it's Facebook and she turns to me and says No 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 What are they doing why would anyone Want that and I'm like okay that's Consumer and she uses Facebook every day I don't but she does she's like that, That is consumer awareness that I, I, I Thought mm-hmm. wow Facebook it's that bad that uh, yep. that my wife, who doesn't really care about tech stuff, has already chalked down like, Facebook, no, like, no trust for any data for welcoming them in your home. Just forget about it. That's a bad place to be. My worry, and I'm interested what both of you guys think about this, my worry is that the process of making laws and regulations in the United States, for sure, and maybe just in general, uh, when it comes to deeply technical issues like this um, the track record isn't great. Like Tom, you mentioned that GDPR is kind of a mess, and nobody really knows what how it's going to pan out once they start actually trying to uh, uh, get people to follow it and punish them if they don't, because we don't. It hasn't really happened yet and i think back to like the dmca the digital millennium copyright act and things like that that were or the or the child online privacy act these things that were you know compromised through by a bunch of uh politicians who don't actually understand with a bunch of different lobbyists who are trying to get their way and all of them, you know, they might have done some good, but there was also just a lot that was disastrous about them that didn't make any sense and didn't help anybody. And that's, I wonder if that's where we're going with this is we're going to end up with really weird privacy laws that may not, you know, that may have huge
1: loopholes. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like we'll ever get it right or get it perfect. And an awareness of like the data collection that goes on is, is, is definitely a thing now. Um, but it is like, it's, it's just, It should fall to companies like Facebook and Google and whoever else collects this data in in the ways that they do. That it's like an ethical thing. Like, are you, do you really need my phone number that I've used for SMS authentication? Are you really going to target me with ads? From using that number, do you really need to do that? Um, like that should be a question that they should be asking themselves in- internally. Um, and the same goes for like um, just just trying to de- grab data as much as possible. Whether you're using the Android Messenger app um, and it tries to take your contacts and it does it in a way that's like a, a little blue button. If you say if you say no, it's buried behind like a a crazy font at the bottom it's that sort of behaviour we've seen it in software over the years and now it's obviously moved to the web Um, but it's on services where people are cataloging their lives you know they're, they're sharing like uh, photos intimate photos like their entire life um with their friends and family um and it's just it puts it into a different context um rather than you know software that on your desktop pc that's trying to scam your cpu or something like that this is like <laughs> we're trying to get your data like it's um it's very different i think there's, there needs to be like i don't i don't know that there's ever going to be a privacy um policy or anything that's going to cover that because you could hide anything in in these privacy policies and get people to agree to them. But the point is, when, when you're signing up for a service, you really need to know what it's doing and what it's collecting. Um, and most of the time, with most of these services, it's not very clear. And the value you get back from that, that, like, not having that clarity, um, in some instances, like on Facebook, you, you don't really get the value back. Like, what, what are they actually giving you apart from connecting to your friends and family? Whereas, whereas Google's giving you a lot of value for your services. It's like, there's a, there's a push and pull between like how much data these companies really need to to provide the service and what they're giving you back for taking that data
2: yeah and I, and i think you know the one of the keys about this, like you said, Jason, is just the role that regulation may, may play. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's the flip side of that, which you're already seeing Facebook come under pressure from and sort of make some, some systemic changes to at least their service in terms of, of what you can control and, and, and opt out of. And, and obviously there's more work to go, but I think they, they are essentially trying to make be proactive in some of these changes as well, because they, they probably don't want to be regulated. It does become a mess, and you know and, and you 're both right that it 's never going to be perfect if government gets involved and tries to create laws around these things so I, I think there's you know how much of this becomes public awareness leads to pressure, which leads to the company themselves starting to make these changes going forward I think is is, is an important part of that discussion because I do think you 'll see them come under some of this pressure and, and have to make some of those changes. And, and and really I think one of them has to take a lead. I mean there's somebody's gonna have to come out from either Facebook or Google and and really take a leadership position on this and try to set Call it the bar right for their type of business model um, and 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 really sort of use that as you know what's going forward and and I think Facebook's gonna come out of this more and more as a part of the conversation because you know interestingly um, you know Google is in terms of the uh, uh, end consumer mindset is 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 actually more trusted than facebook i we've we've tested this regularly in terms of you know companies that you trust with your data um, and Google ranks pretty high, eh, which is, you know, I think to Tom's point that it is a pretty good service. And so you get good value for letting it know what you're searching for, et cetera. And I think those personalization bits come out. Facebook doesn't have the same. Like, I don't think anybody really feels like the trade-off's worth it for Facebook. And a couple of studies we did specifically on Facebook, um, you know, cl- clarified that. So I, I think that Facebook's kind of the one that sticks out more to me in much of this criticism than necessarily... Does Google? Even though I think Google's in that in that conversation, I think Facebook probably has the most work to do. But I just my my point is I come back to how much of this might just be public pressure because they are they are under a a pretty negative tailwind both in consumer sentiment and that's just going to be increased as the political spectrum continues to get uh, more chaotic over the next few years. And so that that's bad for their business because it means less engagement, people use it less, Um, people may just ditch the service entirely. So they may have to make some of these changes regardless because of that pressure, in order to earn back some of this trust. So that's I think one of the ones that'll be the most interesting to watch is, is again how much public pressure, because that will move faster, right? Governments will take years to do this, whereas if if they really are up against some pain financially or at a at a user engagement level, they'll be forced to make those changes quicker. And I sense that's coming for Facebook particularly. And I, I don't want to say that I'm completely
0: down on uh on regulations. I worked at a print publisher when the CAN-SPAM initiative came in, which, you know, such a huge amount of what uh, that an ancillary business was uh, sending out emails and promotional things and all this sort of thing. And it was a whole development project to deal with it. But the end result is that if legitimate business sends you an email and you want to get off their mailing list, there's an unsubscribe link and... It will work eventually in almost all cases, and that's because of a law that was passed, and it did actually work more or less. It didn't stop actual spam from spammers, mm-hmm. but it stopped all the corporate spam uh, if you wanted it to, which was, you know, again, so it, it can work. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. Um, we are we're definitely entering a new era when it comes to regulation, though, for for sure, for sure. And anybody who's got an online business, GDPR is probably only the beginning, there will probably be more work you need to do. Um, If you've got a small business or a medium sized business, if you're not Facebook, you'll also probably need to deal with this. Um, Let's take a break. And uh, we've got much more to talk about today. But I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom, the company who makes website performance monitoring super easy. Everybody who uses the internet loves websites to be fast. They need to be fast. And Pingdom is a company that's helping keep your favorite sites online. Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. Maybe you've heard of them. These are just a few companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get really complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. So that means not just is my site up, but user registrations, logins, checkouts, a whole bunch more individual features of your website, and are they working right now? Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible, and if disaster strikes, you're going to be the first person to know. It's super easy to get started with Pingdom All they need is your URL, and they will take care of the rest. That's it. Go to Pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you signed up, use the code DOWNLOAD. When you check out, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. That's Pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, let's move on to topic number two. Uh, Mentioned Apple and Tim Cook and and all of that. Uh, I should mention it's got an event next week in New York City at the Brooklyn Academy of Music on Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. So all of you people who like to tune into Apple events, that's three hours earlier because it's 10 a.m., but it's in New York, so it's three hours earlier. So you better get up three hours earlier and watch the Apple event. A lot of rumors about this event, updated iPad Pros with Face ID uh, and an updated uh, industrial design a new entry-level mac notebook maybe updated mac minis and ipad minis i don't know about the ipad mini that's so so weird anyway i just wanted to do a little uh little apple event check-in to get to what you guys think uh, about your sort of your expectations and uh and about what we might see and what you're excited about coming out of brooklyn next week straight out of brooklyn let's
1: start with tom what do you think yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's interesting that they've they're holding it in Brooklyn, um, obviously going for the sort of creatives. They they did the same sort of thing for the, the school event, um Right in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Um so there's obviously something about that and iPads that they they want it they want that to be at these particular events away from um, the corporate HQ and stuff um, but yeah so for, for the iPad Pro um, I think we're at a point with the iPad Pro where um where they need to do something different, like they need to, it needs to be something more than what it is. Um, I think it's like slightly confused as to what it is at the moment, um, both in software and hardware. Um, they've done some gesture changes in iOS and they keep doing them and they will, they, they get a little confusing if you're using an iPhone as well. Um, so I want to see if they're going to like make that a little bit neater um with with the ipad uh, definitely on the software side um but i also want to I, I think everyone just wants them to do a surface running ios right like th- <laughs> that's that's basically what everyone wants um and, and i think i don't think they're quite ready to do that probably um but i'd definitely like to see them improve the keyboard um and just just the ability to not have to touch the display like have some sort of pointer integration whether that's touching the display and be able to you know um manipulate it a little bit better than you can now um or just having a trackpad um i don't know like there just needs to be something there um because i think it's just not quite where it needs to be right now um but yeah like that's the things i want to see um whether they'll do those i'm not sure um i feel like we're gonna see an ipad pro with you know smaller bezels face id um you know, better processors, all the stuff that we would expect. Um, but I think like, that the, the keyboard side of things will be will be the most interesting. Um, and then there's also the Mac, um, which I don't really know what they're doing with the Mac right now. It seems they seem to have just kind of I don't know, like thrown too much into the iPad and uh, into the iPhone as well. I'd, like it feels like it's a little lost um, the Mac side of things. Um, so I'm hoping that they're going to come back with come back strong. Um, with, some, with some Mac updates, um, there's rumors that of an updated uh, MacBook Air. Whether that's actually called a MacBook Air, I think they'd be crazy not to call it a MacBook Air. Um, hmm. But I know a lot of people would disagree with that. But I feel like it's it's a name, it's iconic, and I feel like their naming doesn't really make much sense across a lot of their products anyway. Um, so I, I I feel like if they if they use the, the MacBook Air name, it's you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they do need a competitive laptop. Um, I remember years ago using Windows laptops like five years ago it was terrible using a Windows laptop the trackpads were just you know just trash um the operating system itself just wasn't quite there, and, and they, they've really come back, and a lot of the OEMs have been pushed by Surface and stuff um, to do much better. So there's, there's a lot more competition that Apple, I don't think, has had in the premium uh, end of the market. Um, so I definitely want to see them respond with something on the Mac side. Um, and please update the Mac Mini. That would be oh, man. amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I th- I think on the hardware front, um, you know, ev- everything that's been sort of speculated and you know Tom talked about is is likely what what we're looking for. I, I think for me. The really important thing is just to see how you know Apple messages and positions these two products because uh, you know it's it, it's not every day that when they have an event they put iPad and Macs together. I think it's telling that these two products are now um, you know in a in a similar launch cycle, but also being put into the same conversation. Um, and and they serve two different purposes, right? I think you know Apple has this very specific vision for iPad as you know what it. Means to the future of computing. I think that they feel that product has more potential for the mainstream and the mass market than a, a traditional notebook does, but it, it just hasn't lived up to that to that promise. And so, I think I'm mostly curious about you know what are they going to do to try to move the iPad from a a a product that's viewed as a luxury where the PC and the smartphone or the PC and the Mac and the smartphone are viewed as necessities and bring the iPad into that conversation like i said i know this has been their goal this is their vision this is what the team believes of that product but i think it's it it hasn't it hasn't met that and the market hasn't swung to you know really consider those types of products as something that they think is is that they can replace their their pc with and so I, i'm mostly interested in that you know and, and and it really comes down to, you know, we've talked about software. I'm sort of less interested in the whole mouse point because I think that's that's moot. Um, I'm I'm more interested in what they can do to make that particular product feel like it can enable you to do things you could not before on big screen computers. Essentially, the the, the dream for iPad, and again, I have no idea if if they get there and even if the market cares, but is to make. Um, Macs and PCs look antiquated. And that I think is the challenge and the goal. That's where they, that's what they believe it can do. But it, there's just so much wrapped into that. And then there's just so much consumer market mentality, enterprise market mentality around just the notebook form factor that, that has a comfort level that's very, very hard and has been hard for, for iPad to shake. And so I think that's really where I'm mostly interested is how do they position that product? Cause that's their vision and that's where they go on the Mac front. It's like, you know, for them, that's low hanging fruit, right? A, a low cost Mac would undoubtedly boost their market share um, in 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 the in the overall segment of uh, of of, of PC slash Mac sales. So it's win win kind of for them, right? They they have they're, they're probably not going to merge these things. That's just a philosophical thing, and 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 I don't really don't think that that the market really cares so much about quote-unquote desktop notebook experiences that have touch and pen those are convenience things but but most people just use these things the way they've used them for decades and that's just that's just the reality apple's goal for ipad is i think is to really try to be something new um, and look and and make the make the old platforms the old big screen computer platforms desktop platforms look antiquated but again a low uh, a low price cost mac plus if they can pull off some of that with ipads it's really win-win right they're just they're catering to either market they're like okay hey you know if you buy our vision for ipad great here you go if you just want a mac here you go here's a bunch of price points so they kind of cover both of these bases and you know that's I think this, the 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 way that the bottom line will get impacted, and, and people who look at this from a financial perspective will see it. It's it's win win. Um, you know they can keep their share, maybe grow some share in Mac, but they'll probably or in, in iPad, but they'll probably grow some share in, in Mac. Certainly, if there's a lower lower cost uh, notebook. Um, but I, to me, it's the stories. You know where where are they taking these products? Where is the vision for both the software and the hardware platforms? and you know and how do they how do they message these two products as being specific to kind of different workflows different types of 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 customers because their point has always been clear you know if, if these are the things you want to do and that's heavy pro design etc 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 here's the mac if these are the things you want to do kind of enabling all these more creative things using touch and all the thir- all the third party apps here's iPad so they're they're kind of giving users you know the the choice of the hardware for this one fits you and this one may not whereas what's interesting on the the window side is they're sort of just saying you get all of it right with this one platform. I think that's, that's attractive to a group of people as well. So for me, Main point is it's messaging and positioning. You know, how do they frame the narratives of these two products given where they want to take them from a directional standpoint? It's also kind of an awkward time
0: for Apple's platforms right now. We know that 2019 is probably going to be the year where Apple's app platform gets much more unified. They've said that, you know, creating technologies that let iOS apps come to the Mac. Uh, We know that Photoshop is coming to iOS next year as well. There's a lot of kind of cross pollination happening, but right now, Um, Even though they're not going to be merged platforms in the future, Apple has said that. I believe them on that. It feels like they're going to be much more closely attached than they are now. And with the iPad Pro, I feel like... Uh, there are lots of stories out there about how there were a bunch of ipad pe- features in ios 12 that got deferred that this may be a two-step process there as well where the ipad pro will come out with whatever it's got in it the uh, first generation ipad pro was introduced and the apple pencil came along with it there will presumably be some things that will come along with the hardware and some software tweaks as well but presumably there's going to be some huge ipad software update stuff rolled into next year's ios update so you know it's a work in progress a little bit, and, and And I I just feel like with the iPad and the Mac that Apple is, it feels very clear to me that Apple knows where it's going now, which maybe it didn't feel like a year or two ago. Maybe they did know, but we couldn't see it. But now it feels like they know exactly where they're driving the iPad and the Mac, even though we have lots of speculation about it. It seems like they know where they're driving, even if we don't know which off-ramp they're taking yet. Um, But they're not there yet. (laughs) So we're in this position where they're just getting all the pieces lined up and to your point about stories ben um you know the story they tell will be another indicator of how they envision that ipad going for where they're driving it but you know right now we don't know and we're not going to know the whole story i think next week either because it's probably going to take another year for it to to uh, be a little more clear Um, What do you think about what Tom said about uh, Wanting a Surface? I kind of Before we started, uh, I had A back and forth with Tom about this because I also feel kind of like as an iPad Pro user, I want a better typing Experience. I want to be able, I don't want to always have a Laptop. That's why I use an iPad But I like being able to connect a keyboard and You know, would be open to Connecting some sort of pointing device as well When I want to be in that mode Is that a thing that you think is Is uh, possible from Apple Or do you think they're not interested in being more surface like on ipad
2: yeah i mean i think the keyboard one's a good one um i think and i and i'm sure tom and and you would probably agree i, I think the surface keyboard is is probably the industry standard i think that's the benchmark it, that's easily my favorite uh typing device of these you know can these these two-in-one-ish type type uh, detachable tablet and, and full os things um I would love to see that I, I would love to see a better keyboard uh, on iPad. I think that would be a giant step uh, in the right direction um, I, I don't think a mouse or a pointing thing coming at all I don't think it ever will uh, I think they're very clear and if you if you've noted like one of the things that really stood out to me from some of the developer sessions if you watched them around dynamic interfaces fluid interfaces and particularly around touch was like you could hear the internal Climate for touch is that they they think that that's like the most natural user interface that's come to computing devices. And so I think they want to exploit that with to some degree, you know, a pencil or a drawing device for when you want to do markup or something creative paired with a really solid typing device device. And those things plus touch are are sort of the 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 ultimate experience from a UI standpoint. Um you know, and I agree. I mean, I think the mouse is is while we've we've been trained to use it is actually a little bit relatively unintuitive and The grand scheme of things from a from a ui standpoint and there's there's just no way they're going to bring you know pixel precision pointing to software when it comes to something like ipad they're just not going to ask developers to do that um so i i wouldn't hold my breath on that one but i think the keyboard would be a giant step up for people because you know many of us who use these products and i think this is just born out of so many of us being you know Typing a lot and to some degree being touch typist is there's just something about that feel and experience when you type a lot and and and, you, and that's a regular part of your of your workflow and that's been a hard one for iPad is that just the keyboard doesn't feel that way it just doesn't have that tactile feeling like I said Surface I think is the is the standard there so that that's one I've I've really been hoping for a long time um, so I do hope that that comes I think that would be a, a big step forward but I, I don't think the mouse slash precision pointing experience is, is going to come to iPad. Tom, that means
0: uh, you and I are in for some <laughs> disappointment. Uh, although, Ooh. I don't know I uh, about precision. Like I use a lot of gestures on my trackpad on my Mac, and, um, and iOS does have a, an editing cursor. I feel like there are contexts, but maybe the answer is that Apple, we know from patents, Apple definitely would like the idea that you could maybe do some gestures across a, a surface that you didn't think of as a trackpad, like the top of the keyboard or something like that. But I do feel like... Every time I reach up and touch my touch screen of my iPad, when I've been typing, I feel like there's an opportunity for me to make a gesture on the key, the key plane instead of the screen plane. And right now I can't do that, whether that's a trackpad or something totally different, I feel like there's some innovation for Apple to still do there. But again, it may be the case where I'm asking for the old thing, and what they want to give me is the new thing that solves the same problem. I'd be okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think they can They can definitely do it in software, in touch. They can do an element of precision with that. Um, it's just we haven't seen it yet. Um, and I guess... I guess- the main thing is the apps and app framework, like, isn't really there to support that sort of stuff. Um, we're starting now to see the sort of product, productivity apps, um, that have kind of been promised with the iPad. Like, Photoshop is a good one. Um, it's good to see someone as big as Adobe, um, jumping in on that. Um, so I think that will encourage more. Um, we've seen some third party ones that, are, um, I can't remember the other one that's, that competes with Photoshop. Um, but there needs to be more of that. Um, and I think that will help push whatever direction the iPad's going to go in as well. Um, but Apple next week does need to guide it some somehow, the iPad Pro, um, and with whatever hardware they've got. So. All right, well, we have a little more to talk about, uh, but I want to
0: tell you about our next sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you in part by Linode. With Linode, you will have access to a suite of powerful hosting options. Prices start at $5 a month. You can be up and running with your own server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode offers industry-leading performance. They have native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 10 data centers spread across the world, meaning that you can serve your customers even quicker than before. They have an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud, and everything is manageable via the command line. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers, so there's never going to be a nasty surprise. Linode is great for hosting a large database, running a mail server, operating a VPN, running Docker containers and so much more and those pricing options are amazing their plans start with one gig of ram for five dollars a month and there are high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM, too. As a listener, to download, if you sign up at linode.com slash download FM, you won't just be supporting us. You will get $20 toward any Linode plan. Now, let's do the math there. $20 toward any plan, $5 a month for the one gig of RAM plan. That means you can get four free months of a virtual Linode server of your own to try out. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash download FM to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit or just use the promo code download fm 2018 when you check out thank you to linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, now it's time for the story you might have missed. Something that flew under the radar, perhaps, but is worth mentioning. It's taken more than ten years, but Twitter just turned a profit for the fourth quarter in a row, in spite of the month monthly user base falling for- to 326 million from 335 million the prior quarter. The second quarter in a row to see the number shrink. The user number wasn't a surprise. Twitter has been cleaning house, removing bot accounts and bad actors from the platform. While Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey believes removing these accounts will make Twitter a nicer place to be. It does show how little actual growth Twitter is seeing year over year compared to Facebook, which added 38 million active users this quarter alone. Twitter is warning of another mid-single-digit millions drop next quarter between more bot banning, removing some of its old SMS deals with carriers, remember those, and other changes. Anyway, Twitter is making money. Remember when we all wondered if Twitter would ever make money? They're making a little bit, at least. Anyway, let's move on to our next topic. uh, Electric cars. Just want to talk about electric cars for a moment. I own an electric car. Uh, Tesla reported a record quarter. They had a 300 and million profit. They delivered 56,000 Model 3s in North America. Now, earlier this year, I saw a report that suggested that by 2030, there will be 125 million electric cars on the road, up from about 3 million now. That's pretty great. Uh, And yet, that would mean that only 10% of the total number of cars out there in 2030 would be electric. I, I did see a report this morning that suggests that internal combustion engine car sales in China are basically flat this year, all growth in car sales in China is now being taken up in the electric segment. So we got a bunch of different electric car data points here. It seems like this is a real open question: Are electric cars turning the corner? Is this Tesla thing a sign that the electric car market is about to explode, or is it just
2: uh, not there yet? Uh, what do, What do you think? Let's start with Ben. Yeah, I, I do think that awareness is at an all time high again for this. You know, I've seen a number of reports from the Wall Street guys. Talking about automotive, and so it it really seems like this is something that every automobile manufacturer is focusing on. So you're just going to inevitably see them continue to add elect- EV solutions to their lineup, and uh, and I think that's just catering to where they where they believe the market's going. So I so I sort of think we're we're over that hump. Um, I think that a lot of the technological kinks have gotten worked out, um, and so you're going to see that paired with you know autonomy solutions, uh, you know more more road smarts in terms of road safety and all of the the interesting sensor things they can do for uh, you know for keeping keeping the roads safe and, and keeping you accident free and not hitting pedestrians etc so there's there's a lot of this that's all going on at the same time as, as they're sort of moving away from the old way that they make cars from uh, from the past into the new way that they make cars um, so I definitely think that that this is this is something on uh, on the horizon the the most interesting part I think of, of this discussion really comes back to the grid because this is one thing that continues to come up like one of the the main Sticky points that we've seen from research with consumers on EV j- is just like the big question like of like, of where do I charge? You know, how often will I charge? And there's this concern that they're going to be stranded on the side of the road somewhere, not not have able to charge their car because they're because they're out of battery. Um, you know, I think this is one of the main reasons that that the Model Three is is, is becoming so attractive is because for the most part, you know, Tesla solved that in the mind of consumers because it will get they know where they can go. There's a grid. Um, and And I think that 's a, a big reason why you know Tesla is successful there, and so that's that 's where I think the most interesting piece of this to watch for other manufacturers is well how do we how do we solve the grid program so that as uh, pervasive as gas stations are so are uh, charging stations, and this is the thing that's it's really unclear. Right, there is that guarantee and peace of mind with gas. There isn't that guarantee and peace of mind with EVs outside of outside of Tesla. So, ha- how each different brand, um, you know, invests in this, whether it's a a, a syndicate of uh, of solutions that everybody invests in, so that we have more of these, or if they have to build their own, that that I think is the one thing that's that's challenging for uh, for for each uh, each manufacturer. But no doubt the the interest level. Of of Model Threes is is really really high, and I know a lot of uh, of execs at car companies I've talked to are are quite worried about about that that they're behind and and, and not really going to be to market soon enough. But the grid one is I think the most interesting part of this going forward because, like I said, that's that's been a stumbling block for most consumers is just the confidence that uh, they're not going to be stuck on the side of the road somewhere.
0: Yeah, that range anxiety,
1: it's real. I felt it myself, uh, Tom. What do you think about where electric cars are going? Yeah, so. It, like, like in Europe and in the UK um it's mainly hybrid stuff that we have at the moment rather than full-on um electric cars um and actually a lot of the uh, Ubers in London are hybrid cars so um but yeah to Ben's point about um charging I think that's definitely a, a consumer you know like people are worried about that sort of stuff um, and charging points. And you know that you can go and get gas from a station. You know where they are pretty much if if you know your local area um, or they'll be on Google Maps or whatever. Um, so there, there definitely needs to be some more visibility into that. Um, but I think... Th- th- the promise of the electric cars especially with Tesla uh, in particular is that they've they've had trouble actually making these things over the past couple of years um, whereas recently their production has ramped up um, they're obviously actually delivering these cars out now um, so they've got over that sort of hump um, so I feel like we're going to see a lot more of Tesla um, cars, cars on the road um, at least in the US um, I feel like they need to expand then to Europe and China um, naturally um, to push that further and put more pressure on um other competitors to you know to take this stuff seriously and not just make concept cars. Um obviously Audi are doing the e tron now. Um so they've moved from the concept phase um to I think production started on that and they're taking reservations on those cars now. Um so I feel like we're we're at the I wouldn't say the beginning because we're definitely not at the beginning, but I, I feel like we're, we're over that hump where um, I think there's going to be a lot more consumer awareness of these vehicles um, and the benefits of them. Um, it just It's going to really depend on stuff like the trade wars um, and just a lot of political influence everywhere across the world at the moment um, on whether these will really go as fast as they should. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, like... Th- a lot more manufacturers definitely need to take this stuff a lot more seriously, I think, and and definitely get out of the concept phase and into production, um, which Tesla obviously now 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 nailing. So yeah,
0: it's um, I think range anxiety is a thing where battery tech has come long uh, far enough now that. Uh, Most of the new electric cars that are being made have enough range for all but long road trips, like any kind of average commute. And the idea there is that um, you just want to be able to go to you know, if, if you've got 200 miles of range or 150 miles of range, that's a lot better than if you've got 60 miles of range, even if your average trip is five miles. So that's part of it. But to Ben's point, the, the infrastructure around it, on one level, electric cars are spectacular when it comes to infrastructure because you can charge them in your driveway, which you can't, you know, you don't have a gas station probably in your driveway, but you can charge them in your driveway. The problem is if you need to when you're out and about, and you are out of range, or you're taking a road trip, how do you get that? And I, the, I will say, in the Bay Area, there are a lot of electric cars now. And I took my electric car, which uh, we we're talking about Tesla's, I'll just put it in context here. I bought a used Nissan Leaf, so it is not fancy in any way. but um, And it has very little range. And coming back from a football game in the East Bay, we weren't I, I didn't think we were going to make it. I don't think we had enough charge to start with. And we ended up spending, you know, 25 minutes in a Whole Foods Parking lot in Berkeley uh charging up enough to get home, and it was fine, but I got the sense uh, that you know we we were lucky and pulled in just as somebody was pulling out. And there were people waiting for our spot. And that's, that's the interesting thing I'm seeing here is there are so many electric cars now that there's a lot of pressure on the public charging points. And at some point, somebody something's going to have to give there where somebody's going to have to see an opportunity to really dramatically in, increase the number of public charging stations for this stuff, especially fast charging stations. And I think it will happen. The question is sort of when and where. And if you think that, that that's impossible, I would remind you, how many gas stations there are like having places where a car can get refueled, uh, all over, scattered all over the place is actually not unreasonable. <laughs> we have them now. Um, but we are going to need more of them for electric, uh, as electric cars grow, because let me tell you, the chargers in the Bay area are full. They're full all the time now. Um, anyway, it's, it's fun having an electric car. I do think that Tesla is turning a corner in, in, in a way. We'll see if it keeps going, but, um, It seems like they've solved some of their volume problems, and uh, I just, I don't know, in the long run, uh, I I saw, just as a little sidebar, I saw a story today about how a lot of the people in uh, California's uh, pollution control area feel like, even if we went to 100% electric, um, it wouldn't be enough that you also actually need to simultaneously be working on reducing the number of miles people drive, overall the total miles driven by vehicles like going to electric cars isn't enough there's a lot going on 21st century transportation it's fascinating we're just getting started with it um i have another topic to talk about but before we do that let me tell you about our last sponsor this episode of download is brought to you by hellofresh the meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. There are three different plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, and you won't spend all night in the kitchen because recipes only take around 30 minutes. Having everything delivered means you can spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping every week and instead spend that time on the things you love. Everything is delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging, my wife told me about this. She opened this up and she was like, It was great. I just put the insulation in the recycle bin. So convenient. And even amidst after school chaos, HelloFresh's meal kits make it easy to decide what to do for dinner. You got recipes on cards. You got a bag with all your ingredients in it. So you can just grab it and start making. You can look forward to your delivery, knowing dinner is getting way easier. We've had a great time with our HelloFresh ingredients. We had HelloFresh for dinner the night before last. It was really tasty, easy to put together. Uh everything was in a bag so that we could just pull the bag out. It so we weren't like hunting for where do we put the ingredients. It was super convenient and it tasted great. And my kids are complainers and they complain about the food we serve them sometimes. And guess what? There were no complaints. Everybody's plates were clean after we had the wonderful chicken dish that we had with Hello Fresh. For a total of $60 off. That's $20 off your first 3 boxes. Go to HelloFresh.com slash download sixty right now. That sixty is for the sixty dollars you're gonna save. That's right. Use the promo code download60 and save sixty dollars, twenty dollars off your first three boxes, six meals for free, essentially. So go to HelloFresh.com slash download sixty and use that promo code download60. Thank you, HelloFresh, for supporting download and all of Relay FM. Okay, let's talk about Oculus. Lots of stuff going on at Oculus. Uh, Former Oculus CEO Brendan Uribe is leaving Facebook. He joined the company as a co-founder with Palmer Luckey. They launched the first version of the headset on on Kickstarter in 2012. Under Facebook's lead, he served as CEO until 2016. Then he stepped down to lead the PC-based VR uh, Rift VR division. Uh, replaced by Hugo Barra, who left Xiaomi to run Oculus within Facebook. Lots of musical chairs there. Oculus has since shifted from focusing on PC VR so much to mobile experiences. Uh, they made some announcements in that side. This is the latest in a string of co-founders to leave Facebook. Of course, the guys from Instagram and the founder of WhatsApp, um oculus also is dropping movie rentals from the rift uh, saying people don't want to put on goggles and watch movies in a virtual space they actually just want to play games and uh they're also rolling out a system-wide option for reporting abuse so if you run into a jerk in virtual reality you can record bad behavior and upload it to the support team and then they can act on it so um I just just an overall thing Tom maybe start with you on this one uh, what's what's up with oculus Does it matter that the co-founders are leaving uh, it seems like this there may be some uh, heated opinions about uh, the kind of cutting edge PC based VR versus getting into a freestanding mobile VR thing but I'm just curious what you're thinking about where oculus is now
1: yeah, I mean they they've come a long way. Um, in, in everything they've done. I mean, from the first time that we saw it at CES, I can't even remember which CES that was because they all sort of blur into one. Um, but like since they joined Facebook and obviously Palmer's left and stuff, um, I don't. I feel like VR in itself has kind of stalled. Um, we still don't have you know that killer hardware, the killer app, um, the killer experience in general, um, in VR and it's... it's I, f- I feel like there's, there's obviously internal struggles at Facebook um, and Oculus about you know whether it's going to be mobile or tethered to a PC and stuff um, and I think we all kind of know what the vision is you, you need to make this stuff a lot easier for consumers to use um, it needs to be a lot cheaper um, and it just there doesn't need to be those apps and these experiences that make it worthwhile and make it something you want to come back to um, I own an Oculus Rift I've owned it since I don't know probably a year or two Um and I haven't used it for, uh, since the mu- the month after I I first purchased it. It was Oof. it was fun to use. It's fun to show my family and friends and stuff. But it's not something I come back to, because um, it requires a lot of space. Um, it requires a, a super powerful PC um, for for the best experience. Um, and just the apps and games just aren't quite there yet. Um, so I think that, that that is the fundamental problem with VR in itself, regardless of of Oculus. Um, and I think they're tr- they're obviously trying to internally struggle with which direction do they want to go with vr and that's probably why we're seeing sort of these regular shifts in positions um and all these different roles that that are going on um but yeah like i, f- I feel like vr is just at that point where everyone's kind of not not necessarily over it um because there's still a lot of investment going on there but people are still trying to like figure out exactly where vr is going to head um and whether ar is probably going to take its place um Somewhere along the line, so yeah, I, I mean, I think the the thing that's
2: becoming clear is, you know, like 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 Tom was saying, is you know, interest interest has waned. I think there's there's certainly some novel features, and I think obviously for for parts of gaming um you know to some degree some of the original short form content is interesting but it's just none of this is something that you know is is replacing any long form task that either tv or, or or other games are are playing and i think that's really been the the challenge here and you know and, and obviously a lot of this speaks to like what your philosophy for vr is and to be honest i don't know really know anybody you know that thinks that you know vr is is the next big thing um, you know, obviously there's more discussion happening around AR, but I do think that there are important technology challenges that are being worked out with VR that are worth the effort because that will lead to something, whatever's next in AR or some form of miniaturization in uh, you know, more visual-based computing experiences. So, both at the sensor level, at the silicon level, um, and even some degree, the, the hardware design level, because these are, these are challenges that these companies haven't faced before to, to kind of put technology in this form factor. Um, I think the learnings are more important than kind of what the market. Doing right now, so that's that's more you know as 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 from my my view as an analyst and things I'm doing in in semiconductors and and with those companies, I'm a bit more focused on the long term when it comes to uh, you know the, the lessons that are being learned. But I, I just I, I I agree, and I don't think that VR is the kind of thing that somebody's going to use for. You know any number of time, like they use other products today. Um, I don't think that's going to change. I think that 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 the companies in this space right now are 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 really having some uh, some struggles. But uh, but like I said, I, I think the end goal here is just that that the work to, to 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 develop these solutions and bring sophisticated solutions around this types of experiences at every level is worth it. That'll lead to something else, and that's just the the phase that we're in right now.
0: Ouch! It's uh it's funny. I, I think VR. Like, we're further along than we've ever been, but it does feel like VR is a... Uh, it's going to be great for video games, but what else is it going to be good for? Uh, kind of thing. I I like the idea, by the way, that they're, they're pivoting to these mobile versions of it because I feel like if you're going to get people excited about... VR, having them have to invest in a very expensive gaming PC <laughs> and attaching it to that yep. is not a great one. But I, I, their latest announcement of the thing that they're working on for next year, I, and you know, it's not a bad price. It's standalone. I just buy it and put it on my head and I'm playing games. Like, even, even I, who was skeptical about this stuff, I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. I would think about getting that in a way that I'm never going to get the, um, the computer stuff. So, cause I'm never going to buy a PC just to attach a, a headset to it. So I don't know it's early days yet. Um, before we go, I need to give you... We have a special segment at the end of the show. It's usually the Fuzzy Puppy update where we make you feel happy after we've uh, really brought you down with a terrible tech news for the previous part of the hour. Um, <laughs> but it's October, which means that it's Taco-tober, and I am now going to conclude my Taco-tober remarks. I am happy to announce to everybody out there we have found Mr. Taco-tober. Mookie Betts of the Boston Red Sox stole a base in the first inning of Game 1 of the World Series this week off of the Dodgers' Clayton kershaw and austin barnes that stolen base means the legendary taco bell steal a base steal a taco protocol has now been enacted and that means every person in america can get a free taco from taco bell on the afternoon of november 1st that's in one week mookie Betts said the steal was because the red sox wanted to be aggressive early in the game and quote on top of that i just wanted some tacos Uh, He actually said it. Remaining in the realm of baseball and tacos for a moment, by the way, I have some bad news for Chicago Cubs fans. Uh, Worse than them not making the World Series this year. The Taco Bell on West Addison Street in Wrigleyville is being demolished to make way for more luxury condos. It was apparently the site of many, many, many late night meals after Cubs games. Fans are planning a wake. This is serious. In Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon in Wrigleyville, you can go and toast the old Taco Bell before it gets torn down beginning on November 1st. Ironically, the date where everybody gets a free taco is also the date. They're tearing down the Taco Bell by Wrigley Field. Our next episode is on November 1st, and although I might duck out early to get my free taco, it also means Taco Toper is over. We will return to the Fuzzy Puppy Update next week. Everybody is relieved about that, I'm sure. Uh, ben and where can
2: people find you and the stuff that you do? My website, uh, techpinions.com, uh, as well well as twitter's kind of the funnel for everything as it is for most people these days so just at ben parent on twitter
1: excellent and tom warren where can people find your stuff i am over at the verge the so theverge.com, and then over on twitter i am at tom warren
0: excellent excellent and we will be back next week but until then Stephen and i will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to thanks for listening goodbye everybody